Hello, and welcome back to the Two Button Crew podcast. I'm your host, Glenn, and I'm joined once again by honorary crew member Nathan Blake of Nathan Blake Games. Hello, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Hope you're, hope you're doing well. You can't respond because it's a podcast, but anyway, just go ahead and, and uh, respond anyway, and I'll know in my heart. Anyway, so today we're talking about a Switch remake of a classic game from the late 90s, called Classic, actually. Klonoa, Doors of Phantom Meal, Phantom Isle, Phantomily? Phantomily. I, I hadn't considered that, but that, that actually sounds pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to think I know uh, why this game never caught on. It's like, oh man, yeah. you gotta play this game. Okay, cool. What is it called? And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yep. But, uh, yeah, this is a cult classic from originally from the PlayStation 1. I think it was released in 97, if I'm not mistaken. And it has been remade twice now. Once for the Wii, which was a bit more of a reinterpretation. They added voice acting and stuff. And this time, it's a it's been re-released for the Switch and other systems, which is uh, more more true to the original. Uh, so no, none of the uh, none of the voice acting that was in the Wii version or any of that stuff. Was the Wii was the Wii version was the voice acting not well received? I didn't research that at all. Um. So I know the English voice acting. Like, interesting story behind that. The English voice actor was basically for Klonoa was basically not given any context for what kind of character Klonoa was or the world. <laughs> it's just, you know, someone's just like, yeah, it's a mascot platformer. Here, read these lines. And so the character <laughs> sounds a lot older than he does in every other version of the game. Oh, so he's got like a, a deep, Nah, deep it's just kind of more voice. like a generic teenager voice. You know? Ah, so he's like a cool guy. Yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, a lot of people have uh, a lot of fondness for this game, and uh, they, they have fondness for sort of the gibberish that they speak in this game, because it is something that's kind of, it's, it's kind of unique. I mean, I would say that like Skip games, you know, Chibi Robo and all that do mm. um, do something similar, but... Yeah, I must say that uh, whenever I started playing it initially, I was playing it handheld mode and uh, was like in the living room with the rest of the family and had the volume down. It it it, it did become more enjoyable whenever I had volume up later. So, so I, I get I do get that. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is the as I mentioned, it's the second remake. And the thing is, every time the top of a Klonoa comes up and the Klonoa fan is talking about it. This is just kind of what got me interested in it. Is they basically get on their hands and knees and start begging people to, to check it out. It's like, please, we need that third game. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is one of those that, like, I knew that it existed and mostly because the handful of people that care about Klonoa are, care about Klonoa a lot. And uh, but it was always one of those that I like I hadn't really paid much attention to. Like I say, it's an early I mean, it's a late late 90s, early 3D platformer, uh, but not actually 3D. And so it uh, it definitely got lost among all of the attempts at mascot platformers that were 3D in, in the 64 bit slash disc era, early disc era. Yeah. And the. um Interesting thing about the Klonoa series is we typically think of it as only two games. I did some brief research on it. There's like Game Boy Color games and a bunch of spinoff games that no one ever talks about. 
if even the cult classic followers don't talk about it, then they must be quite the thing to behold. But, um, so having said that, said that, let's uh, let's jump right into the gameplay. So as we mentioned before, it's a 2.5D platformer, and I would mm-hmm. say it's kind of that in the uh, truest sense of the term. So it's so you move side to side like on a platformer, a 2D platformer. You only have uh, can move side to side, but the stages themselves are three dimensional, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So. Um, and this is something that used to be a lot more common in 2.5D platformers. Um, is that like, you know, you'd be moving on what is ostensibly a two-dimensional plane, but that plane would wrap through and kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of snake its way through a 3D environment. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. sometimes you're like running around the central chamber that loops around, so it's a... Um, yeah, you kind of wrap up a tower or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, very occasionally, there are moments where, uh, like, there's a slightly hidden-ish path that you find by branching off uh, in a different direction. That is by going like into the the fo- the fore or the background or the foreground or something, yeah. but not very often. Yeah. So. A lot of games did that, and what Klonoa does, as you mentioned, what's really unique about Klonoa is that there are actually multiple paths that intersect in Klonoa, mm-hmm. and so sometimes you'll you'll jump on a platform and the perspective will shift and you're now on a new plane of movement, which is not something I've seen other uh, 2.5D platformers, even from that era, um, do. Yeah, Which, no, it's it, it doesn't happen very much in any of them. It surprised me the first time it happened in Klonoa. And it, like, to be honest, I wish they had done it more and to do a more, like, and used it more interestingly here and there. Mm-hmm. Because the first time it kind of happened, there was a level where, uh, the first time it happened where it wasn't just like, I don't know, like an event sort of thing that pushes you into the mm-hmm. background was uh, there's like kind of like a bridge area and you're like walking through the bridge area and there's like an upper level and a lower level and it looks right off like you're just supposed to just cross the bridge and walk through the door. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have to hop up on top of the bridge thing to flip a switch or something. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, if you're paying attention, you'll actually discover that there's like a, a path that tees at the path that you're on that you can walk back into the background and then the camera shifts around and shows you. And that was really cool. And I was like, oh man, that's actually kind of dope. And it didn't happen very much like that very often after that, but it was a cool moment. (laughs) Yeah, it it doesn't happen much. It is mostly two dimensional, but I have to say, I really, really like this idea. It it really does feel like someone looked at the technology and said, okay, this is a style of game we know how to make, but how do we incorporate this technology instead Mm -hmm. of just scrapping everything we have previously yeah and especially i mean when you're if when it's the mid to late 90s and you're competing with mario 64 which is pretty much the first uh 3d platformer and also the 3d platformer that all 3d platformers are trying to make a game as good as (laughs) it you know trying something new and different is, is, is a good idea you know it doesn't always work but you're not competing with mario 64 nine times out of 10 when you make a 3d platformer because it's just you know it's just it's just too good so (laughs) yeah so in you know speaking of mario it's it's one of those things that i almost wish that 
Um, Nintendo tried to make a 2D Mario game for the N64 or for the GameCube because mm. I I can't help but think that this is what Mario would have done if Mario had tried that. Yeah, yeah, they they would have done some really cool stuff for sure, and uh, yeah. I, I do think we missed out on some cool stuff during that era from the Mario people because, you know, they got back into the 2D stuff around the Wii era uh, and the, the late DS, mm-hmm. early 3DS era. But uh, they were trying to get back to their roots while simultaneously making it, like, more, like, kid-friendly, like, like difficulty-wise. Yeah. And so I don't think that they, like, did as much cool stuff as, as they probably would have during their, like, high difficulty eras that they were in in the N64 days when things were pretty tough, honestly. Well, and the other thing about that is that the, um, like when New Super Mario Brothers came about and like 2.5D platformers, like as I mentioned before, 2.5D platformers nowadays don't really do the snaking through the environment thing. No, no, um, definitely not. It's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm a little disappointed to see that, like, I've seen some... I've never played the game. I've seen Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze does some stuff like that with some of its levels. Excuse but me. not just a ton. It, it just just occasionally. Because I've played a little bit of Tropical Freeze and played through the first several levels and didn't see hardly any of it. So I know it does some at some points, but it's definitely not as, as present as this. And that is one of the weird things about Klonoa, like... Uh, you know, we'll we'll get into talking about some of the our our experiences with it and stuff, and I definitely have my gripes about it. But there was some there was some cool stuff with it. It was it was interesting and pretty unique. Yeah, and uh, it one last thing I want to say is that it really does make you think in terms of three dimensions while you're playing this two D plat was ostensibly a two D platformer because you'll see something in the background and you're like, okay, that's in the background, but that's a collectible. I can probably grab that somehow. Right. Yeah, and I guess the last thing we probably should mention on on that front also is that uh, not only can you move on to other planes and the those map kind of snakes around, but at any time you can like throw things into the foreground or the background, which is is kind of interesting for a game that is ostensibly a two dimensional game. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's the other aspect of Klonoa is Klonoa is actually from a mechanics standpoint actually a very simple game. Because basically you just run, you jump, um, you have like a little flutter jump kick thing, um, and then you can grab stuff. And the interesting thing is that in most games, if you press up and throw, the character would uh, toss the whatever they're holding upward. Um, but in Klonoa, so, okay, let me backpedal a little bit. So you can grab things in this game, like enemies or objects or whatever. And you can use that to fight other enemies, or you can... Um, you can also use like press jump while holding an enemy to throw the enemy downward to propel yourself upward because yeah, that's how physics works. <laughs> yeah, essentially it, the double jump mechanic only functions if you have an enemy that you're holding when you do it, and they're also still a projectile when you double jump and it launches them down. Yeah. Um, but you can also throw enemies into the background or the foreground. When you press up, you're not throwing the car- uh, the enemy upward. You're throwing the enemy forward, you know, mm-hmm. away from your viewpoint, which is really interesting. So you're constantly interacting with the, um, the foreground, the background, even if you're not um, walking into it. Yeah. Yeah, you're constantly, like, looking for switches that are maybe in the background or the foreground. 
uh, that you're, or even occasionally the enemies that you need to use to launch at something are actually in the background. Uh, obviously not very far in the background because you can only grab things that are within arm's reach, essentially. But, um, yeah, so you're just on, honestly always looking into the foreground and the background and trying to keep track of, of what's there, which is really interesting because, again, it, it, like, it plays other than these weird, like, mechanics where you're using just a little bit of the background and the foreground it plays like a whole lot like an old like 2d platformer Mm -hmm. um in all other cases because you're you know you're just moving left and right and jumping and stuff yeah um and the last aspect of the gameplay um wow we're already through the gameplay section like i said the gameplay is pretty simple (laughs) but the last aspect of the the gameplay is that um it has uh, it, it's there's a quite a bit of exploration in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is the levels are linear in the sense that your your goal is to just get to the goal at the end of the level. Um, but it's you know it would rec- it reminds me kind of of Kirby in in terms of how the exploration stuff works because it's you know, have the main path but then you have all these little branching side paths where there are. Uh, little collectibles and stuff that you can get for solving puzzles or uh, completing a platforming challenge. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely kind of that Great Cave Offensive sort of thing where there's, like, you know, lots of doors that you can go through usually. You're not really sure which way is going to be the, like, right way, you know, that's going to lead you to the end of the level, and you're just, like, searching through them, and, you know, like, 80% of them just gets you, like, a collectible or something like that. Um, the other two like mechanics that we should probably mention are that there are six major collectibles in each level that mm-hmm. have to do with like rescuing people, and then there's a hundred or no 150 of the little crystal collectibles that are kind of equivalent to like coins in Mario or notes in uh, Banjo Kazooie. Um, I actually don't know if there is any real benefit to collecting all of the things. Um, so. Collecting all of the crystals, I, I don't know. There probably is something. Collecting all of the uh, the little side characters actually unlocks a final challenge level that oh. is not very fun. <laughs> it's They decide, okay, this is where... So the thing is, for the most part, Klonoa's gameplay is pretty easy, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's a kid's game, and it does get challenging toward the end. So you are going yeah. to be... Um, doing like some perilous jumps uh, at the end of the game, but for the most part, it's it's a pretty comfortable game. Like I think the Kirby comparison actually is pretty apt. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this challenge level where it's like, okay, now we're going to put the player through their paces. And quite frankly, it it's one of those things where I really almost want to go back and play the original PlayStation game because I have to wonder if some of the difficulties I was having are not just because this is a remake. And yeah. they just screwed up some of the very fine details. Yeah, it's one of the my major complaints about the game in general is that it doesn't seem to have a lot of difficulty, like you say, but it does have a fair amount of tedium. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the game ends up you being just like waiting, standing there for like something to align in a very specific way so that you can do it. And then if you, like, just mess the jump up because you're not being quite careful enough, you fall and you die, and then you have to do it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're just I actually, I have something to say again. about the jump, but um, <laughs> one of the things, like, 
I know this is, and this just does not feel right to me, which is one of the reasons why I think maybe it's something they messed up in the remake, is if you're trying to double jump with an enemy and the enemy hits another enemy on the way down, like mm-hmm. before it leaves your, um, Klonoa's, is he holding them with his hands or his ears? I forget. I don't know. Well, Not whatever. If it, before it leaves his appendages, um, he... It'll cancel. Hmm? It'll yeah, it'll cancel, cancel right? and then you'll just drop to your death. Yeah, because there's like a weird thing where like you're kind of also, and they never actually say this as a mechanic, but in general, if you're holding an enemy, they kind of almost act as though they're a shield. Mm-hmm. Kind of like in Donkey Kong Country when you're holding a barrel. If something were to hit you from above, it would hit the barrel instead of you, you know? Oh, okay. um, kind of that mechanic. I saw it happen a few times, but it just never really mentions it. So I think that's probably what it is, is that yeah. because even though he was transferring for that, that double jump thing, it like hit him and it like used it like as a shield essentially. Yeah, basically. And so that makes the, like, I think I probably would have been able to beat that final level if it weren't for that. Um, the other thing, what you said about missing jumps, and this is more technical. Um, I think, like, I have a hard time believing that they did this in the original. Well, first of all, in the original, Klonoa is a 2D sprite. Mm-hmm. So the environments are three-dimensional, but Klonoza himself and all the enemies and stuff are 2D sprites. Mm. Um, in this game, something I noticed is that if I landed on the edge of a platform, it felt like I would slip off. Yeah. No, I the, absolutely the, felt that a lot as And well. I think I know why that is. Is it because he takes up more space as a three-dimensional character than he did as a 2D sprite? No, no. So, as, <laughs> so uh, I, I don't mention it uh, all that often, but I actually make video games for a living now. Right. And so um, I know a little bit. I, I don't know what engine they used, but I know a little bit about how stuff works behind the scenes. So in the original, they probably used like a, a rectangle for his hitbox. Mm-hmm. So you can land, and if anyone who's played like Mega Man, you know you can land with like one toe on a platform. Yeah, a single pixel can can keep you on something. Yeah, and it's because you have a rectangular bounding box. Right, and if um, there's not like physics where it tips or something. Yeah, so in 3D games, you typically don't use rectangles. What you use is, um, it, well, in the Unity game engine, what you often use is a capsule shape. Mm-hmm. So you use this pill shape, um, that's basically it's a two hemispheres uh, connected by a cylinder, and so what that means is one of the things that does is it means that you're curved on the bottom, and that's why a lot of times in uh, 3D games, if you like try to jump on an er- another character, you just slide off, unless it's Mario, in which case you know it's programmed to bounce, but right. uh, you just you know slide off, and your character doesn't like really get stuck on geometry when jumping up and down. So it has a use, but the thing is, if you apply that, and I think whoever did the uh, the remake probably just said, well, it's a 3D game, we'll just use a capsule, because, yeah. you know, 3D, uh, that's probably the mindset that they were in. And I think, I think Planoa has a capsule shape, which does not work in 2D platforming. No, and that's kind of my my major gripe, like I said. Like, the difficulty level of the game is not very high. There is a lot of tedium, and a lot of the tedium ends up coming from I'm trying to make, like, four very specific jumps in a row that seem like they should be pretty easy, grab a guy and then double jump, and just on one of them, you seem to just just barely misjudge it in a way that you doesn't seem like you didn't hit the platform, but you still just nudge right off the edge of it and fall anyway. And 
like even sometimes I would do what I thought was pretty much the exact same thing and Klonoa would do like this little like ooh like sort of animation like he was mm-hmm. catching himself you know like like trying to catch his balance and other times he would just slip right off of it and fall and die and I'd be like what what did I do wrong here like and then so often the game like uses like some artificial means of like prolonging a, a moment by like you're waiting for an enemy to like flutter up and then back down so that you can jump up and grab him or something like that. And so if you've just gone through a bunch of that, whenever you slip off of a little ledge, kind of what seemingly feels like no fault your own, and then you have to go through it again, you're like, man, that this felt like it took forever. Yeah, that's another thing is that they don't have the enemies, like they'll have sometimes where you're supposed to chain certain techniques together, but they don't have the enemies stand still. They'll like flutter mm-hmm. up and down, and it's like, well, hang on, that's not... That I'm sorry, but uh, you know I can understand someone saying, "Well, that's just part of the challenge." But it's it's one of those things where you can't really get precision with doing that. And sometimes the enemies are just going to float so that they're a little too far apart for you to make that yeah. jump. Yeah, there was something an area I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was like three quarters of the way through the game where I was trying to do something that was like I could tell it was supposed to be a pretty like well executed timing thing using three enemies and I feel like I killed one of them and he did not sink in with the others right and it mm-hmm. took me a good long while to get them to sink again so that I could actually do the puzzle you know the, th- the triple jump or whatever it was it was asking me to do yeah so um Good in concept, the execution is... I, I don't want to make it out like they completely botched the execution. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's mostly good. It's just that, you know, the devil's in the details sometimes. Yeah, and I absolutely think that... Like, I get why it's a cult classic. Mm-hmm. is because I could see in the late 90s you playing this game and saying, wow, this is really interesting... Like, it's not as good as maybe Mario 64, but there's just not that many games to compare it to, and it's just pretty interesting and neat. Like, I hope they make more like this. And what I've seen of the second one, it does seem that they've, like, like expanded on ideas and, and stuff like that, even though we're not really going to talk about the second one necessarily today. Yeah, uh, I haven't even touched it, so... yeah. Um, and so, like, I do think that I know that the second one was, for instance, really popular for like the like snowboarding sort of like levels, which do take more, even more use of like the foreground and the background. And so, like, just with that in mind, like, you can get where fans of the series would have been like, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it was a cool idea, and I'd love to see more because I want to see them continue to evolve on these ideas. Yeah, so definitely a good first first outing from a mechanic standpoint, but mm-hmm. um, needs some uh, needs some refinement. Uh, but I think one of the things that draws people to this game is it's um, it's it's the way it presents itself. Mm-hmm. So while you know, again, while pretty solid mechanically, like some of the details were poorly done. I think that the like. It it really is kind of um kind of a weird surreal world. Yeah, it it honestly is a very interesting world. You're very interested in understanding how the world works, which does get me into one of my other slight gripes is that the story is super interesting, but it's super vague. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So like the weird, interesting world like kind of invites you in to be like, oh, I want to know more about this place. And then they just don't really tell you much about it. And so you're like, this place is really interesting. I bet you there's a lot of stories about how all this works. And then there is not. So, yeah. <laughs> um, But well, we'll talk about the story in a second. But mm-hmm. in, in terms of the visual style, it's well, it's very bright. It's very colorful. Um, it has kind of that, like I said, it has surrealist element to it. It reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of Nights into Dreams. Yeah, no, I got that vibe from it multiple times. I would and not like, be surprised if people um, who worked on Nights were... Well, honestly, those games were released around the same time, so I I'm think not sure were. people who worked on one would have time to jump ship to uh, Namco. This game was made by Namco. Yeah, it was a Namco game. Sonic Team to Namco. But it, yeah, it feels like they share some DNA. Yeah, that I definitely got that vibe too. And of course, obviously, there's there's uh, you know the levels are called visions. There's like kind of a dream motif to it, you know. So like I I too was kind of like, well, wait, is this somehow connected with the 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 nights into dreams stuff? Because I like I got a similar vibe, but then I was like, no, this is definitely Namco, not Sega. And I remember it was on the PlayStation originally, so it's just nothing added up for that to be the case. So maybe there's like a dude or something that quit halfway through nights and started working on Klonoa. I don't know, but... (laughs) You know, one of the things I really like about the visuals in this game is uh, some of the character designs. So, you know, Klonoa, of course, is adorable. um, And it's interesting, like in the second game, um, he, he looks kind of a little bit more human-like here. He's got like the cat eyes and weirdly enough, I, I actually prefer the cat eyes cause it's just, it's, it's very, very distinctive. Like I think his, his original design is a lot more distinctive than what he looks like in the, um, in the second game in the Wii remake. Yeah, no, yeah, he definitely, I, I appreciate his design in the first one more than what I've seen of the second one. He's kind of wearing... That- sort of miss mickey mouse pants <laughs> yeah just a little bit yeah you know it's like the visuals of the game are really interesting it may be one of the best selling points of the game like everything is really cool looking invites you in to learn more about the world and see more of it and stuff Klonoa himself has like a really interesting design with like a lot going on in his outfit and stuff and his his weird adorable arm ear things that he has like just a just a the the visuals of the game are really truly excellent i feel like yeah. and the thing is um while it's cute and it's colorful i, I want to describe it as cutesy because it's um it's definitely willing to get into sort of some more some darker more surreal visuals like uh, the villain mm-hmm. I don't know how you pronounce his name. It's it's like Gadius or Gadius or something. Yeah, I figure Gadius as well is, is what I was thinking. So so it's uh, like he's just really creepy to look at, and some of the some yeah. of the bosses are too. And yes, yeah, certainly the the a couple of the enemies are just like you're kind of like what am I even looking at right now, in a good way. Um, cause they're like kind of spooky and re- real strange, uh, and like weird shapes and stuff. Uh, you know, they'll oftentimes have lots of tentacles or, or, you know, they didn't go for a lot of the more traditional bad guy shapes, uh, with the bosses. You know, most of the little regular bad guys you fight are, are very like spherical and, and very Kirby enemy looking. Um, but the bosses are all Kirby really a lot more than I expected. In this podcast. I, 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 it's true, but like, I mean, it just it just connects in there somewhere, you know. Like, I don't know. The, there's definitely that level of 
Uh, and there's some DNA there too. Like when you think about it, like if Kirby didn't have his ability to copy abilities, but the rest of the game was the same, it would be a lot of you sucking enemies up and then spitting them at other enemies. That's a good which point. And it also takes main... place in Dreamland. The Kirby series usually yeah. takes place in Dreamland, and this yeah. has a dream theme. And hmm. yeah, so there's hmm. something there. I don't know if any of it was ever intentional, and but you know. Kirby is a beloved series, and so you could see, like, if this game shares, like, 35% of its DNA with Kirby, that there would be, like, people being like, no, this was really cool. We want more games like this, you know? Yeah. Um, another interesting thing from a visual perspective is just the one of the things I like about this game is that its levels aren't, like, the themes for the levels aren't too rigid. So... Like, you'll go to um, Vision, like, uh, you know, I think it's the first place this happens is, like, Vision 2-1, which takes place in a forest, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but then Vision 2-2 uh, two, uh, takes place in, like, on a mountain, and it's in a completely different kingdom. And then you go back to the forest in, like, Vision, like, 3-1 or 3-2 or something. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting because the... The level themes, you know, most video games, it's like, well, you know, we're going to do the level themes and group them all together. So you have the forest level and you have the the jungle, you know, level. And forests and jungles are different for some reason. And you have the, uh, <laughs> you have the the uh, mountain level and all that. And here, Clonoa is like, no, the the visions are like stages in the story. And if the story needs you to take a detour, then you take that detour. Yeah, and I think that I think that is that is pretty much what sums up the way the level design works. In other games, you know, Donkey Kong Country being a good example, the the overworld of any particular set of levels would define what all of the levels had to look like, whether that was inside of a mountain that was filled with lava or whether it was a carnival or whether it was a pirate ship or whatever. Um, this yeah, the story dictates where the characters go. And I think that that's actually a slightly better idea in the long run because, yeah, I didn't I didn't ever feel like I was going to be able to guess what the next level was going to be like or anything. Um, And it was always interesting that, you know, like, oh, the character needs to go into this tower thing. So the next level is a tower thing, you know, as opposed to just like, oh, well, you finished the mountain level. And of course, there's a cave here. And so now you're going into the cave and now it's all lava levels because you're inside the mountain. So that's the only thing that can be here. Yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, I would say most of the level themes themselves aren't terribly interesting Mm -hmm. um, on their own. I mean, I would say that there are a few standouts. Um, The I kind of like the flying sun temple place because it's was you know this kind of fire themed mechanical place but it's in the sky so it's an interesting mix of concepts yeah um and then there was like a ghost ruins which had uh, what was it called like the wind ruins i think so yeah yeah and that was interesting because it didn't it didn't lean too much into the spooky aspect um so it's, it's one of those things where it kind of felt like you were wandering through a level, uh, an, an area in Shadow of the Colossus or something, if you need a comparison. You know, it's just sort of this melancholy kind of region. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do feel like um, the, the levels were not super interesting individually. Um, 
But, you know, they they usually have, like, a couple of fairly interesting things here or there that you'd be like, oh, okay, what's this? You know, like, um, there was there was one of those where you're kind of in, like, a jungly area, and there's, like, the, the tribal people there, and you're, like, making your way up to the top and stuff. And, like, there were some pretty interesting areas in there. I think that one maybe stuck out to me the most. But uh, other than, like, the last couple of levels, which were probably some of the more interesting ones and had you doing things like winding your way up through a tower or something a lot, which was cool. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say about the sound design. Um, the music the music is good. It's one of those things that just, I don't know if it's the audio mixing in this game, but it just sort of blends into the background. Um, yeah, it, it definitely does. I think that uh, there was... You know, like like I said, once I started playing with sound on, like the little characters talking was enjoyable, but the rest of the sound uh, was just what, okay. What was the little marble friend that Klonoa had? What was his name? Mm, it was like Wumblot or something, but I can't remember it. It's like Popey or something, I think. <laughs> now I'm going to have to look. But um, I remember every time a cutscene came up, there, were, there was one point where I... I Basically, I, I have a tendency sometimes to just snark while I'm watching stuff, even if I'm playing by myself. And at one point, I remember just saying, okay, you know what? You, stop talking. Never talk again. And every time his little voice came on, I, I was just like, what did I say about talking? Yes. <laughs> stop it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, I... Hupo... Oh, Hupo. Yes, that was the character. I told you it was like Lumblot or something like that. I mean, well, I told you Lumblot. it was like Popey, so. <laughs> okay, so we were actually kind of both at least as close as each other. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple of characters with way more irritating voices. I did appreciate that the, the, voice, the voice acting was like just like weird, incoherent babbling and then like proper nouns. Mm-hmm. Like, you could actually pick out the proper nouns, which was fun. But it also kind of makes you realize that the localization is a little bit interpretive. Like, um, right. every time they say uh, Gadius, you know, they, yeah. they, Clonel would say something like Gadi. Yeah. Yep. And so, Absolutely. but yeah, it is, it is kind of interesting because uh, you can pick out the proper noun. So that, that was kind of a cool aspect of it. So it's, it does, it's not, little details like that really do make, um, make it feel like the gibberish is an actual language. Yeah, and there was a moment there where I was like, wait, is this a real language? And I just, no, I don't think it is. Like, it, it's it's way uh, too it's, Animal Crossing-y for yeah, it to be. Yeah, and there's too many repeated phrases that just yeah. take on every meaning under the sun. Though, actually, that is interesting. So this is way off topic, but I remember when I played Yakuza 0, there's like, um, there, there's like this one word that they would use as an affirmative, and I think it's like just a casual affirmative term. It was like suka or sukai or something like that. Yeah. And I noticed that they always translated it as a slightly different phrase. You know, <laughs> you know sometimes they would say, yeah, sometimes it would be sure, sometimes it would be of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, do we just have, like, does English just have more ways of saying yes than Japanese? <laughs> Maybe so, or maybe there's like a a uh, like tonal component to it, or something. Too Japanese is not a tonal language. I know, but it, I mean English is not a tonal language either. But we can still using tone mean something slightly different yeah. with a couple of words. Well, I would argue that there actually are a few words in English that are tonal. 
Yeah. Because how you accent them changes what it means, like produce and produce. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, even even a lot of our um, homophones, like a lot of people actually do try to pronounce them slightly differently whenever they're saying one over the other so that people will get which one they're saying. <laughs> even though they're supposed to have the same sound. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, 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 um, there are too many repeated words for it to, uh, repeated sound bites for it to be an actual language. Right. But um, yeah. Wow, we just kind of glossed over completely the music. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what, like you said, the music just tended to blend in. Sometimes when yeah. I'd really sit there and try to pay attention to the music, I'd be like, yeah, this is decent music. But it was, I was never like, wow, this particular level is a bop, you know? Like, I was just, it was always just there. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I listened to some of it after the fact, and it's like, you know, I don't remember it being this good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I just left it playing at some point while I was doing something else and it was just sitting there at the speakers while I was doing something else. And I was like, oh, this song's actually pretty okay. You know, like kind of jigged with it a little mm -hmm. bit. But at no point while I was playing the game did I feel like the music like actually added to my experience really, which yeah. is unfortunate. Well, honestly, I think it does a good job of setting a very relaxed um, right. vibe. And I, I think some of the later songs in the soundtrack... Um, actually were you know i i noticed them more like for the last couple levels mm -hmm. yeah i should say that by i don't i didn't really notice it add anything i didn't i don't mean that if there had been no music or something like that or bad music that i would have been like happier uh, <laughs> it's just like like you said it just really blends in it's just and part of that is well done because it just adds to the overall experience without overstating itself but it's also clear that they didn't like break any new ground with the music or anything you know like if you hear a song from donkey kong country or from mario 64 um you you remember that you know it's yeah, like boom but at the same time klonoa is like has the the world and stuff up until you get near the end has such a relaxed vibe mm -hmm. that it's it's kind of hard to imagine a more assertive uh let's call it a more assertive soundtrack yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think it's the soundtrack that the game needed, but I, I will say it isn't one of those things that just reaches out and grabs you. Yep, certainly. There was a couple of boss songs that were pretty good, if I remember. I don't remember them offhand or anything, but I do remember feeling like a little bit of that like ominous pressure during a boss battle with the music. Let's talk about the story, because honestly, I think... The reason this game is so popular is the story, because mm -hmm. um, it's it. Uh, and by the way, you know, before I go any further, spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't played Klonoa. Though, if you haven't played Klonoa, I think you know how the game ends. Like that's like the one thing everybody knows about Klonoa. Then I did not, so I was oh. I got I got to experience it first for the first time. So. Okay, well that's the thing that I've always had spoiled for me, but. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but one of the things about Klonoa that I find really interesting is that there is a lot of story here. Yeah, certainly. Like, I mean, if you compare it to uh, other platformers of the era, like, you get, like, an opening cinema screen to kind of set the set the tone and why the main character is in the, in the predicament that they're in in most other platformers. And in this one, it's just, like, after each level, there's, like, legit scripted story stuff going on. It doesn't always hit super well, and you're very confused a lot of times, but it's 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 really interesting that it has, like, a real story and lore. 
Um, at least one place in the game, there's a, a level actually starts with a fairly lengthy cutscene. Um, and there are some levels that have cutscenes in the middle of them. And yeah. it's it's weird going back because this, this is one of the things that I just, while playing the game, I kept thinking is like, man, games have changed since the late 90s. You know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, it's like this, this was a thing that um, you did back then is you put story sequences in the middle of levels. And nowadays that's kind of, um, you kind of the, the mentality is like the level should only be action and then there should be story sequence at like maybe the end of the level, but maybe between, you know, put that between the levels. Yeah, yeah, there definitely has been a shift over the years, uh, and actually, it is right after the Klonoa, Klonoa era, actually, I think, um, for story to, to not take place during levels. Um, um, I, I, would, I would argue that it continued for a few years onward, because I know Virtua Quest did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the first time you play through a level in Virtua Quest, it takes, like, 30 minutes to 40 <laughs> minutes just because you're being interrupted by a cutscene, like, every yeah a- after every other fight. That's true. And uh, we, we cannot forget Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I can because I never played it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I just anyone who plays Kingdom Hearts will, will remember that, like, uh, Kingdom Hearts had, like, a pretty steep difficulty curve in some sections and unskippable cutscenes at the beginning of, of big fights. So you'd walk through a doorway, and uh, an unskippable cutscene would happen that was, like, three minutes long, and then you'd start a boss fight, and then you'd get murdered, and then you'd have to go back to the save before you walk through that doorway, and then you walk through the doorway, and you'd watch the unskippable cutscene again. And some of us got real good at quoting Donald and Goofy, let me just tell you. <laughs> but can you do it in their voice? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, so, I, I don't know. That's just something that I, I found fascinating about Klonoa. Is it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I can play this game for the first time and get a little bit nostalgic mm-hmm. um, just because of stuff like that because it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was the thing. But, yeah, it really does have an impressive amount of story, and um, which makes me wonder. So you say that you don't feel like the world was very well fleshed out even with all of the story and like introducing the different kingdoms and stuff right so for me and this is probably some of the is weirdly going to be because i don't i didn't know what the ending was so from the perspective of someone who has no idea what's going on um glenoa is not from this world and he's been kind of inserted into it and then he's gonna save the world and then he leaves the world Mm -hmm. and so if you don't know that that is what's going on here you're just like i wish they would kind of explain a little bit more about like what the heck's going on why who is klonoa why is he here why is this happening i don't understand like you get these vague little references to like oh yeah he's like related to this guy and oh there's bad things are gonna happen if he doesn't do this but like there is a lot of questions that are left unanswered that you don't realize you can't answer <laughs> mm. until the end. Yeah, and that's one of the things about... So, the like, the one thing this game's story is really famous for... Uh, well, I think there are two things, but is that the ending really just does kind of come out of... For a lot of people, it comes out of nowhere. Now, as someone who knew what the ending was, I looked and it's like, oh, okay, there is some foreshadowing here. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the thing, is that I was trying to 
comprehend and understand exactly what was going on in the story, and I could tell that I was not getting the full picture, and that was because they were intentionally obfuscating it, mm-hmm. but because I didn't know that the game has, like, a twist ending or anything, I was like, why? why? Will someone please explain what is going on? And then whenever they were like, ah, and his best friend is actually secretly the prince, and I was like, how did this happen? Like, how would we... How would Klonoa not know about this? Like, there was a lot of moments like that that happened for me. That if I had known that the ending is that secretly Klonoa does not belong here and he has to leave, would actually make it make way more sense. But at the time, I was just like, I'm very confused. Can someone please explain to me like I'm five? (laughs) (laughs) So do you think you would have enjoyed the, the story better if you had been spoiled? Maybe so. I don't know. It's so hard to know now from, you know, from this perspective. It's so weird because there were multiple times where I was like, I just don't understand who Klonoa is and why he's in this world. Yeah. You know, to me, like the story has this very, it it feels very much like a kind of like an anime or something from that period, especially because it has like this very childlike perspective where you're just sort of going through and it's like, oh, we're doing this now, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, it does, it is one of those things where you do get the feeling after a while that Clonella doesn't really fully comprehend what's going on. And he's not asking, he, he, he doesn't know to ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what kept throwing me off as I was just like, I feel like Clonella should know a little more about what's going on here. But he really seems like he's just as confused as I am. And that he's just kind of going whatever direction the winds tend to blow him. You know, it's just like, oh, there's a villain, and well, he's doing... Well, in Japan, it is called Klonoa of the Winds. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, oh, there's a villain, and he's doing villainous things, so you better go not, I mean, anti-villain him. It just seemed like the general vibe of things, but I could tell the game wanted to tell a bigger story, and so I was just like, game, please tell me more of this bigger story you're clearly trying to tell me. Like I say, whenever I got to the end, I was like, oh, okay, it makes more sense now. Yeah, and but that's the I, that's a weird thing about Klonoa is it's this very cute world, and it starts off very, like, very innocent, almost kind of a Pollyanna sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gadius seems a little out of place. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, that guy's a little bit creepy for this world. Yeah. But, okay, fine, whatever, you know, we have a creepy villain, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, about halfway through, after you go through the Wind Ruins... Um, they just straight up nuke Klonoa's grandfather. Yeah, yeah, that was that was super surprising and interesting. Whenever that happened, and I was like, "Whoa, heck! Did that? Did the character just die?" And then I was like, and "Not just the- die, but like they were, you know, very intentionally just shot with a laser." Yeah, I was like, "Well, surely he's just gonna be like up off the ground, like in a puff of smoke, like in a like a cartoon character from Bugs Bunny or something." You know, his bill's gonna, his duck bill's gonna be on backwards, and he's gonna twist it back around to the front or something. But then that didn't happen. I was like, "Ah, okay." And yeah, that's kind of my my major like the saddest thing for me with the story is simply that when I got to the end, a lot of cool things came out. Mm-hmm. that I wished I had gotten, like, more exposure to throughout, and I think it could have been a longer game, and there could have been a little... Like, Gaddius is a good example. He was spooky. Mm-hmm. And, like, the game took this, like, sinister turn as soon as he got on camera, and I was like, man, this guy should have been in the game a lot more. Like, I know he was kind of there at the beginning, 
But like even just the, the the spooky voice that they used for him when he was talking was like just cool. And I was like, I wish he had been around more during the game so I could like see him and interact with him more and feel more spooked out by him because he was spooky. Yeah, it, it's, it is fascinating. It's, it's this weird kind of um, juxtaposition of like the really cute beginning and then the game just gets like very serious, but it still retains a lot of its cuteness. It's, it's an interesting balancing act. Yeah. Um, then the ending just comes out and just, you know, goes full on with the, the gut punch of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, by the way, Klonoa, uh, your entire life that you or the life you think you have is a lie. We You have implanted memories. You're living in the Truman Show. Um. <laughs> yeah, and then a lot of questions you, you suddenly start asking that you're never going to get answers to of like, well, where does Klonoa actually come from? Like, what's does he have a life back in the other world or was he like created to come into this world? And I think save that's them? touched more on the sequel, but uh-huh. I don't think it is ever fully explained. Yeah. So there's like a lot of things there. And then um, I didn't appreciate the rug pull of you're fighting Gaddius. And then Gaddius is like, haha, I have already unleashed evil. And now you have to fight this thing simply because uh, I have no reason to be interested in the final boss of the game. Then it's just, it's just a new villain that just shows up in the last 11 seconds, and then you have a pretty basic boss fight against him, and then it's over, and it's like, if if Gaddius had, for instance, been consumed by its power or something and transformed, and you got, like, a alternate version of his boss battle that was way harder or something, I would have, like, identified with it more. But whenever they were just like, actually, the ultimate evil is... Steve, my cousin, who you've never seen before. You know, it just, just doesn't... <laughs> I don't know. Hit. I think of it more as, like, the... Bio Lizard from um, Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, even Bio Lizard was, had better foreshadowing because Gaius' cousin Steve, or whatever his name is, um, <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't really even mentioned until, like, right before you fight Gaius. Mm-hmm. And that was another one of those areas where, like, like the story was, like, clearly pushing us in a specific direction, and some of the characters seemed to know kind of what was going on, but you and Klonoa have no idea what's going on. And so it's like, wait, oh, are we trying to stop, like, the literal apocalypse? Like, wait, how did I not catch that the apocalypse was coming down? Like, I know he's a bad guy doing bad things, but I think I kind of min- missed somewhere that he was trying to, like, literally destroy the whole world and bring about Armageddon. Uh, yeah. I guess you could also compare it to, like, a Nightmare in Kirby's Adventure or something, but... Mm. Yeah, and when, when you when you put it like that, it, it doesn't really get um, a whole lot of build-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's probably my main... Like, I actually appreciated a lot of the interesting story stuff, and especially at the very end, whenever they had the coolest parts of the story that, like the twist endings and the Armageddon stuff and Gaddius is super spooky and stuff. And it just kind of made me go, Ooh, I really wish the whole game had had a lot more of all of this the whole time, but I get it. It's an early, you know, 97. It was a long time ago. And telling stories and video games has come a long way. And just in general media has come a long way. So I like it. I definitely see why people were like, yeah, this was really cool. I want to see like sequels to this. It makes sense because, you know, it didn't have near as much competition back then. And so to say, hey, I want more like this 
whenever there was less going on makes a whole lot of sense and now it is like yeah let's get let's get some people to make like a third one or whatever and use like modern technology and modern storytelling uh you know best practices and stuff so that we can get something really cool going on yeah um so uh any final thoughts on it um not not particularly. I enjoyed my time with it. It was short enough that it didn't overstay its welcome. I yeah, probably I think I beat the game and got all of the, like the the bonus little rescued all the little townspeople or whatever uh, in under five hours. Yeah, it was around five for me as well. Um, I just had so many crazy life things going on that it was really difficult to find five hours to rub together. But um, it did ultimately uh, not take up that that much time. And and you know I I felt like it didn't overstay its welcome. Um, so I, if it had been much longer, I might have started to feel that way because I, I feel like the game, like like we mentioned before, didn't have that many actual mechanics. Mm-hmm. And so I think I would have started to get kind of bogged down in the fact that they're just having me do slight, slight uh, differences in the exact same mechanics over and over again. But uh, I think I think that they did a pretty good job with what they had. Uh, I, I look forward to... Uh, seeing what the sequel may or may not have to offer. So yeah, yeah. Um, overall, uh, I I think it is worth uh, experiencing. I think it's worth your time if you're on the fence about playing it. Um, I I will say I I didn't it, you know with a lot of games that are hyped up or have like really passionate fan bases. I I played it. And it's like nah, it was good, but it wasn't as good as they said. I had kind of the same same experience with Earthbound. It's like it's good, but it's kind of clunky in places. Mm. But um, overall, yeah, I I liked it. Um, I agree. I think it was pretty much exactly the length it needed to be. Um, and I'm I am interested to see what they do with the uh, the sequel and where they go from there because uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some places where it could uh, it, it could be um, some rough edges that could be smoothed out. Yeah, certainly. I think that uh, that just even adding just a handful of more mechanics to interact with, and a little more like uh, interaction with verticality and and the foreground and the background could be really cool. Yeah. So uh, with uh, all that said, uh, Nathan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at my YouTube channel at uh, uh, Nathan Blake Games. And on my Twitter at Nathan Blake Game, which does not have an S because there's not enough characters, but uh, I've kind of been mostly on hiatus with all those things. I've had multiple deaths in my family and different emergencies that have happened in a new job that they I've recently started. Uh, stuff, they so. weren't nuked by like weird beaked villains, though, right? No, none of them. None of them were attacked by a surprisingly terrifyingly voiced man in a plague doctor outfit. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, life's been super crazy. So I haven't done anything on any of my stuff in a while. But uh, yeah, if you want to go see some of my backlog, I've got uh, hundreds of videos on YouTube and lots of goofy things that I say on Twitter. So yeah. As for us, you can just subscribe to the Two Button Crew YouTube channel to see more podcasts and uh, game reviews in the future. If you are into tabletop RPGs, then you can go to twobuttoncrew.com where we not only have a lot of blogs and stuff that you, uh, 
don't in content that doesn't appear on our YouTube channel, but you can also download a free RPG adventure module for the uh, 1D4chan Legend of Zelda RPG, uh, and it's called Expedition into the Hell No Woods, and it's uh, it's meant to it's 48 pages, and it's meant to help introduce people to the game's mechanics because uh, that game expects a lot from the the GM. So, but if you're if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, going on a Zelda themed RPG adventure with uh, with some friends, then go check it out. It doesn't cost you anything. And so, as always, if you have an idea for a episode topic, you know, whether it be an old classic game like Klonoa, a, or uh, a more general topic such as how to manage a backlog or the talk about the art of crafting game trailers, feel free to leave a comment in the YouTube video or shoot me an email at glenn at twobuttoncrew.com. If we think there's enough to talk about, we'll, uh, we'll make an episode on it. So thank you once again for listening to the Two Button Crew podcast. I've been your host, Glenn, and uh, thank you to uh, Nathan of Nathan Blake Games. Well, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate you all listening, and I will uh, see you all later. Sign on. Yeah, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.